Shannon, welcome to my pod. This is the Really Shannon podcast where I talk about reality TV, some lifestyle, and uh, hopefully open your eyes to whatever injustice I'm seeing. If not, it's just straight up gossip. And I've been working on finding out some tea. So I hope you enjoy. This is episode two, and I'm talking about Selling Sunset season two. So um, Selling Sunset is all over right now. When, depending on when you're listening to this, Chriselle is on Dancing with the Stars. Um, the cast is all over, you know, TMZ, Us Weekly, as we hear about in season two, and uh, tabloids, et cetera, et cetera. So they're really trying to cement their place as the new reality stars, uh, the new hills, whatever, older people. I think the target demographic is me, and that is um, people who were probably in high school-ish watching the hills or Laguna Beach and just loved that like manufactured drama with the backdrop of L.A., beautiful homes, grand things. So yeah, and now those people are around my age, like entering their 30s. And uh, yeah, we want to see like grownups doing the same thing that uh, the kids were doing back then. So season two starts off with a bang. It's season two tells me that we are ready for some drama. And there's a little bit of fourth wall being broken. And I love that. I especially recall one scene. I think it was episode six. And the three girls, you know, the the mean girl group, which is now Heather, Christine, and Davina, which, by the way, we don't know how Heather and Christine solve their problems other than a mutual hatred of Chriselle, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but they solve it. And so they're walking in. And then I believe it's Heather who says, don't talk about that on camera as the scene is opening. And I don't know if the editors missed it or what it is or like trying to pique our interest. Like, what could she not want you to talk about on camera? So the season opens with us finding out that Christine has manifested her dream. She's been sitting in a house doing open houses, envisioning her life. By the way, she's single at this time. And two months later, she's engaged to a man and sells the house to him. And now she's living there. Like, that's exactly what she wanted to happen. And now she's traveling the world, being rich. Her husband, which is who, which is who is a gem because he's in his 30s, he's retired and he's rich and he's willing to be on reality TV. Like, could she have scored any bigger? I don't think so. Like, he just, he comes to the parties. I mean, as we know, there's two other women on the show or no, all the other women basically besides Mary and Romaine and their partners are nowhere to be seen probably contractual obligations. I don't know. Maybe just wanting to be separate from each other. Let the women define their roles on the show. But I love that he's going to show up and he's going to entertain her drama and they're going to use their beautiful house to film scenes. Love that. Now, Christine is cementing herself as a major villain and I'm fine with it. I feel like she leans into the role and there's not really any unfair judgment towards her. Um, it starts off with us wondering whose side we're on with the whole Chriselle and Christine drama. And Chriselle does a really good job of basically exposing the truth about what really happened off camera and like talking about it in that kind of way where it does seem like Christine is trying to apologize and be in her good graces for the camera. Great gracious. Good graces for the camera. Uh, but Chriselle's not buying it. And so when I first saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, girl, like, we need the drama. It's a reality show. But then I kind of liked it because I'm like, yes, that is how a mature woman would deal with this kind of drama, isn't it? Like, she got basically accosted at the last party that they had together, tried to hide her tears with her beautiful hair, only wanted us to see it more. <laughs> I'm kidding. Her hair is really beautiful. My goodness. On the, on the opening of Dancing with the Stars, she does like hair half down with like a little top knot and I'm just like in love. I don't know. She's got She's got great hair. Uh, so, so yeah, so Chriselle's dealing with it very maturely and, 
you know, she's like, yeah, I am two-faced because I don't like you and I'm being professional. And I'm like, yes, that is the kind of content that I'm, I'm wanting to see because <laughs> who isn't dealing with that? I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. We also find out that Heather has broken up with her long-term boyfriend. He's a thing of the past, and now she's with Tarek, and he had a very public breakup, and we're supposed to know who he is, and we're supposed to care. Um, I believe it's because he's on some HGTV show, so if we're watching Selling Sunset, we must be into shows about houses, but not all of us are. Um, so like a little deep dive into their history, uh, his ex-wife. Uh, looks just like Heather. And so that's the whole drama. So Christine kind of says something about that on the show. She's like, oh, I've seen the pictures of you against other women. And Heather is like not entertaining it. It's like she had a contractual agreement of what will be discussed on camera. And Christine and Davina were ganging up on her in a way that she did not approve. So Heather's really trying to control her narrative, control her image. And that's all well and good, especially for her relationship. Like I definitely respect that. There are children in the in the mix. Um, but why don't you control yourself on the show with the drama? Am I right? I don't know. I think she's doing a good job as well. So she's like, oh, Christine was the villain. Maybe I could be the villain. So she goes ahead and tries. Um, and then of course there's Davina who like rounds out the trio by kind of just egging them on and making sure that they stay upset <laughs> at things and nobody can move on from anything. So that's interesting. I mean, again, watching season two, I didn't really grow a hatred for Davina that everybody online seems to have gotten. I mean, she finally got herself a storyline by trying to sell a $75 million house, um, it's starting to become more clear to me that Jason is running the business and Brett is like not because as well, I've seen some tea that Brett is trying to start his own thing, his own company or brokerage or whatever it is. Um, and so I feel like that's probably a storyline for season four if they're planting that seed right now in the media. And that would be interesting. Like that would be kind of fun to see them working together on different sides and maybe he'll get a cast of hot women who sell houses for him and then they'll have their own office that looks exactly like the Oppenheim group and then they could call it the Doppelheim group, like Doppelganger, but also like Oppenheim because they're they're twins. So it'll all be like exactly the same. And instead of those weird like sheet metal desks that they have, they can do like wood desks, <laughs> like a normal office. I don't know. I feel like the producers should reach out to me for more storylines because that was that was off the cuff. Uh, so one person that we have met who is a great addition Finally, the cast is no longer all white plus one Israeli, and that's Amanza. And I love the name because you're like, Amanda, no, Amanza. I love that. Uh, so she tells her story about how she's a working mom. She often mentions that she wants to buy groceries for her kids, and who doesn't? I mean, that's that's great. I feel like those were the worst sound bites that she could have given to the show, but she's new, and I really think she's going to be great at reality TV. She's already great at bringing the looks, like the hairstyles as well. She's on par with Christine. She comes through with like outfits on outfits. When Mary takes um, her and Chrishell to go see the house that she wants to have her wedding at, Amanda shows up in like a crop top. And so when the scene first started, I thought to myself, that's super unprofessional. And then I realized, oh, it's not an actual house showing. Like she's shopping for her wedding venue. So she's not representing herself as like a realtor at this point. So I mean, I felt kind of bad for having those immediate thoughts. And it just felt like a little uh, woman hatery to me. And I wonder if anybody else kind of thought like that as well. Um, you know, just kind of thinking, oh, that's not appropriate. Meanwhile, everyone else is wearing tight dresses all the time. And and so the one like woman of color comes up in a crop top and I have something negative to think about it. So I'm really trying to examine my own internal bias for sure. Like, why did I even think that? Meanwhile, everybody else is okay, right? It just it's crazy. So I mean, Amanda is uh, filming this season and going through something extremely traumatic in her 
personal life and it's that her husband or her ex-husband, the father of her children that she's been co-parenting with for many years is now missing. And anytime she tries to get a lead or try to figure out where he is, his family goes to her and like doesn't respond. And it's like, how do you explain that to your kids? And I can tell this is definitely a huge thing for her that she probably didn't plan on sharing with the world. And she probably thought she could get on this reality show. And, you know, Mary showed some, she's friends with Mary, right? So Mary showed some relationship drama. That's pretty much it. It wasn't too personal. Like, yes, it's personal, but it's all petty. But this is real, real, real. And so, I mean, I feel kind of bad even watching it. And I definitely don't want to comment any sort of um, opinion other than the fact that she's so brave for being vulnerable on on TV, showing the side of her story. And I mean, it's a year after it's filmed now, and he's still missing. Like, uh, the girls need to come together and like, get hire her like a really expensive private investigator or something. I don't know. I hope for the best, though. I really do. But she's got a uh, great banter, and I love that she already has a relationship with Jason and Mary. Um, I think a lot of people have gone through working with friends and like how that could be awkward at first or awkward forever. Who knows? Or it could be the greatest thing ever. So I'm I'm excited to see how that unfolds. I can tell that Mary's very protective of her with, you know, with good reason. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to watch that all unfold. Um, so Chriselle's like doing her thing. And um, I'm watching season two knowing a huge spoiler that happens in season three because it was impossible not to know. So every time she mentions, you know, her husband or her dream house, I'm just like, oh, heartbroken. Um, she shares with us that her dad passed away uh, in the off season when they weren't filming. And when she discusses it, she like speaks with this truly broken heart. And it's so genuine um, in the in the talking head interview. And so that kind of, I'll, I'll remember that for season three when she's talking about, you know, her heartbreak and what she's going through. And the emotion is like very, very sim similar. And that's how I pick up the read that it's all real. Like none of it's, she's not playing it up for the camera. Like this, this feels real. And it's another thing I feel like I shouldn't be watching. Like, oh no, take us back to the office with the drama. Like, I want to know about your real heartbreak. This is so hard. Um, but I guess that's one of the joys of reality shows. Like, you can't just have the fun drama. You have to have it all. Uh, so the main storyline of season two, on top of everything I've already just mentioned, is Mary is getting married to Romaine. Um, and Romaine doesn't want to have Davina at the wedding. But Mary tells everyone before she can tell Davina. And so that causes its own drama. And it's like, whatever, it's an 80-person wedding. It's not like you have to invite all of your coworkers. Um, but Mary likes to be the, you know, happy on both sides. So she doesn't want to say like an obvious fact that you're not even really our friend. Why would you be invited? She's more like, ah, Romaine thinks you're disrespectful. So I'm going to stand by my man. Okay, fine. Whatever. She doesn't have to come. Who cares? Or she just comes and like, don't make a big deal out of it. But Romaine's getting his moment in the spotlight. He wants to, you know, be an asshole. <laughs> that's like, that's the vibe that I got. Like, I liked him in season one. No, I didn't. I don't know if I've ever really liked him now. I'd have to listen back to my podcast. But he's kind of a jerk. The way he, like, puts down Davina in front of all of her friends slash coworkers. Like, that's extremely inappropriate and rude. And I would be so pissed off if I was Mary. Like, why would you even bring her up? Like, you want them to co-sign you, but uh, they don't really know you, and that's their friend that you're trying to get them to hate on. So that's super not cool. And, like, it's just petty. Like, like do you do you want to be part of this drama? Or, like, did you want – like, so you want to bring it up in front of everyone and then just make Mary deal with it. Like, that's so shitty. But anyways, I digress. They uh, end up getting married and Mary agrees to show the house that she's getting married at on her wedding day. And it's like, oh, I roll. Like, who does that? I mean, it shows that she's committed to her job and everything. But like, it's awkward. 
like the guy viewing the houses, I don't think he and truly in his heart is like, wow, that's really impressive. Like she's dedicated to selling me this house. It's like, girl, get a grip, like reschedule. If he wants to buy that house, he's probably going to be in the area another day. Um, but, you know, I think maybe it was for the storyline. Maybe it's exciting. I don't know. But all I know is on my wedding day, I didn't even order the takeout for my bridal party. I assigned that for other people to do. So she definitely is, you know, has all of her broker friends there. She could have asked one of them to at least walk around and show him the house instead of doing it herself in her robe with her hair half done. But that wouldn't have been a great storyline because it didn't really work out when Amanda showed Heather her house. So I'm going to like backtrack a little bit to the Amanda and Heather drama. So Heather's dating Tarek for about a month and she's talking about it in the office about how she is texting his ex-wife, the mother of his children, um, because she's been hanging out with the kids. And so Amanda says something along the lines of, you know, that kind of worries me that you've already met his kids. Like it's kind of moving fast and if and when it does end, like it's just, you know, it's a little bit more sensitive. And Heather, oh, she does not want to take that advice. She doesn't want to take that opinion. She's offended. She thinks it is a criticism of her relationship. But I mean, she needs a reality check that sometimes relationships end and it's not very easy or healthy if there are kids in the mix that have to deal with it and that, you know, and we end up seeing that in season three. Not saying that I've already watched season three when I'm recording this. <laughs> no, but I have. But I'm, I was watching it objectively. <laughs> um, so it's it causes a huge, like, awkward discussion. And um, Heather's like, thank you for your opinion. And Amanda's like, well, if you're not thankful, don't thank me. And she's like, no, I'm not thankful. She's like, then don't thank me. <laughs> and it's the best. Like, I love that kind of arguing because – they neither of them wants to be like I'm. I'm an idiot. I should stop talking, but mostly that should have just been Heather. I thought Amanda was correct, and I thought that it was an appropriate time for her to lend her opinion as a mother of a ch of children. She's like, my kids are living with this woman that I don't even know. Like she's raising my kids, you know, half the time. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like Heather should have just been more open-minded to hearing the experience of a mom. Um, even if you don't necessarily agree or you're not going to take the advice to give her the benefit of listening and kind of trying to see her point of view would probably help Heather in the long run. But she wants to live in her fantasy bubble and like, let's let her. So she talks about... Um, having to go to her stepdaughter's birthday party and that's when she needs someone to show the house and Amanda's like oh I don't know it's kind of tight I got stuff going on but yeah I could do it for you for literally no benefit to herself so she goes but oh she's half an hour late and Heather's losing it about it and it makes me kind of sad for Amanda because she tried to help out but she's like chronically late and I'm also a chronically late person. I can only imagine it gets more difficult when you have kids because you plan to leave the house and then leaving the house takes like 15 to 20 minutes. And then that's that's just like that will set you back. And if you weren't planning to hit traffic, now you're hitting traffic kind of thing. So I can definitely understand that. And I don't think there's any amount of planning. I know this is a hugely unpopular opinion, especially within my own household. But there's no amount of planning that can help me be on time. <laughs> like I'm going to get there when I get there. If I try to be early or I try to like cut into the time that it takes me to be mentally prepared to go somewhere, I'm going to go there and I'm not going to be myself. I'm not going to be 100. So I should have just been late and then arrived um, feeling 100% me. And I'm sure that's how Amanda feels as well. Maybe it's not all mental prep that she has to do, but it's, you know, getting the kids dressed, making sure they have their snacks or whatever, getting herself dressed. Like everything that you need to leave the door is different to everybody and the value you place on it is different for everybody. So, I mean, I'm more understanding of people that are chronically late because I can relate. And sometimes I will just sit there and not leave until like I am ready, especially if it's a social event. I have to be 100% in it and ready to go 
to deliver the best me. And I'm not going to a social event to not deliver the best me. And I, But I have done that in the past in order to be on time and be respectful of everybody's time. But then I'm just like, I want to go home. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the same case for Manza. I think for her, she's more like she has got she's got a lot going on. But I mean, I don't like that excuse because then it seems like you're not making work a priority. And then if you just use your mental health as an excuse, you can be late for anything. And I'm not saying use it as an excuse. I mean, use it as an explanation. So that's 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 my feelings on that. What's really inappropriate is that Heather called out Amanda at dinner in front of everybody saying, oh, but she was late to my showing and this and that. And it's like, she did you a favor. She didn't do a good job at doing you a favor. And yeah, you probably wish she wouldn't have done it. But you don't need to scold her. Just don't ask her for any favors anymore. And you know what? While you're at it, don't do her any favors. Period. It's done. Then it's dealt with. But I guess Heather, like I said, is trying to be the villain or trying to get some type of screen time. Screen time. So, I mean, I respect that. I respect the hustle. Do your thing, Heather. It's all good. Um, so... Season two was really just a setup to get us ready for the season three drama. One thing that I really missed between season one and season two is um, Maya's pregnancy and working while pregnant. I mean, she had that kind of quick storyline in season one where she was showing them to the house to the guy and he was a creep and they all have to deal with this pretty often. And I'm like, what is it like showing a house when you're pregnant? What is it like you know, not feeling well. I mean, I don't know if she had a healthy pregnancy or not, or if she wasn't feeling well or not. We don't know any of that because we totally missed it. So we just come back and she has this beautiful baby and she's, the baby's what, like two months old and she's already like feeling like herself. She makes a couple comments about like, you know, I'm staying up all night or being covered in spit up and stuff like that. And it's really cute and sweet. And it just like super gets dismissed. And I'm like, oh, this is what I want to hear about. This is like um, a brand new mom going back to work, especially in such a high stakes environment where everybody is so glam and there's lots of money and like your main concern is, oh my God, my boobs are leaking all over the place. <laughs> if, if she's breastfeeding, I don't know. She doesn't talk about, she doesn't talk about anything motherhood related. And I guess that's not really uh, the show, but I'd love to see more about her as a working mom and as we get into season three, she kind of like talks about going back and forth to Miami and how it's taking a toll on her and all of that. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear her discuss childcare, what the evenings are like, what it's like being away from your baby so young. I mean, in the States, their maternity leave is six weeks. Like six weeks? Are you crazy? Like you just stopped bleeding and then you're going back to work? It's wild. Um, you know, in Canada, it's a year. You can take 18 months if you can afford it. And even that doesn't feel like long enough, but I, I, I want to know who's watching her child all day. I want to know what kind of conflict she has with, you know, her nanny or her daycare, or like how stressful it was to find a placement. Isn't that what we want to know? But anyway, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like disappointing that, you know, we get her pregnancy reveal in the first season and then here's the baby. Nothing happens in between. Meanwhile, anyone who's had a baby and is working knows uh, it's not easy. I mean, especially being pregnant, being visibly pregnant and uh, in the office, even walking to the office and everyone's always looking. Everyone has something to say. They want to know if it's a girl or a boy. You have to explain that gender is a social construct. They want to know when you're due. And it's like none of it's anyone's business. But I'm guilty of the same thing. Like when I see a pregnant baby, pregnant baby, I hope I would never see a pregnant baby. When I see a pregnant woman, I want to know everything about the baby. Like I'm just obsessed with this little baby that you're growing in you and where's the head and does he or she kick and, and oh, what are your plans for the birth and are you nervous? What are you thinking about? She taught, like Maya herself talks about having a little bit of a traumatic birth, pushing for two hours and then eventually getting vacuumed out. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of like a learning experience that we could have heard more about. Birth stories are super interesting. And um, yeah, maybe that's what my second part of this episode will be about. My own personal birth story with my beautiful angel baby. Um, so season two, it's good. It ends with a wedding, which is always a great formula for reality shows 
We love a wedding because there's so much buildup to the wedding. There's events, there's engagement parties, bachelorette parties, picking a bridal party, going dress shopping. There's so much to be done with a wedding that it just makes sense to center a season around it because it kind of gives you that complete storyline. It gives you a beautiful finale. And so, I mean, I can't argue with that. Uh, It is a beautiful wedding that they end up having. Um, Amanda's in it so now I really believe that their friendship is real and it's not like we've been friends for 20 years but like we talk like once every six months no it, it seems like they're actually best friends and uh yeah we see Chriselle and Mary develop a friendship which is really lovely and Chriselle not engaging in any sort of drama with Christine which is good for her that's healthy for her um And I mean, Christine's engaged, so we can definitely hope for another wedding storyline and Heather really wants to get engaged. Um, So maybe there will be a season four wedding storyline, which would be good too. I mean, it'd be nice to have a mid-season wedding and then leave room for drama at the end, but we'll see what they end up doing for that. Um, There's some petty shit about... Mary's bachelorette party and inviting people and not inviting people and you're my friend and you're not my friend. Um, it's all okay. It's like whatever. Who cares? Um, but Christy <laughs> decides that her bachelorette party is the time to confront her and Chriselle about this rumor, not rumor, this factoid that Heather let her in on and that they were talking about her current relationship with her fiance Christian and how there was an overlap with a previous relationship as in maybe when they met, he was in a relationship, possibly they broke up and then they started dating. And so she takes high offense to that and she wants to know who said it and what was said. And so Mary's like, yeah, I said it. (laughs) There was an overlap. And Christine's like, oh shit, I wasn't expecting that. And they're mature enough to table it and try to talk about it another time. And so, I mean, I appreciate Mary owning it. um, But owning that you were shady against your friend doesn't make you any less shady. And so that was super uncool that she was even like going in on, you know, Christine's relationship with facts she didn't really know about in front of Heather and Chriselle, just kind of poisoning the well. But at least we know where Heather's allegiance lies, and it's to her evil overlord that doesn't like her and has not even really her friend. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, the villain of the season, according to the internet, is Davina, and everybody's so happy that she can't sell the $75 million house, and she fights with Jason about it, and Jason doesn't want to have the listing, and I see both sides. Um... But they end up doing a pocket listing where they're not going to spend any money on marketing. So then it's like, oh, Jason's like, oh, cool. okay, fine, we'll do it, whatever, right? We're not spending any money. That's my main worry. Uh, but he has a reputation to worry about. And so Davina, you know, makes some pretty, what's the word, um, naive comments saying, you know, if he doesn't want to do it, I can just, I have my broker's license. I can just start my own thing. But it's like, girl, you can start your own thing. But I mean, don't they front the marketing costs and like all the upfront costs of selling homes? So you should be pretty confident you're going to sell this house if you're willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in selling it. So she kind of like conveniently leaves the part out. It's like, okay, so if you can do this all yourself, why are you here? Are you here for the connections? Are you here for, you know, what, what is the point of being in this brokerage? So, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get she's trying to have a storyline other than being, like, the one who instigated a fight between Chriselle and Christine. Um, There's some – yeah, I mean, I feel so uncomfortable watching Davina. It it feels like she's not comfortable in the environment that she's in. She's not your typical, you know, Hollywood girl – Um, Even the way she dresses and walks in her shoes, it's like she just bought those clothes because now she knows she's on camera and she kind of has to keep up. But, you know, the way she styles her hair, like there's no part. She kind of just flips it around. It all just like reads very like nervous and uncomfortable to me. Um, And that could be why she's, you know, letting this side of her personality out. Maybe she's finding it hard to, to be sweet. I don't know. I don't know. Are there any other Davina apologists out there? Does anyone not hate her? Uh, I, I, I can't get I can't get a good read on her in season two. 
and it doesn't get easier in season three. So um, also now is a good time to take a quick break. Welcome back. So because I felt like we really missed out on Maya's birth story, I'm going to share mine. And uh, this is with my daughter, Thea, who is 18 months old now. Uh, but going back, I had an okay pregnancy. Um, I was pretty sick for the beginning, like very nauseous all the time. Um, didn't have an appetite at all, just lethargic. And I was starting to feel really bad about it because I, I was so excited to be pregnant. And um, when you're not showing yet and no one knows, you know, you're kind of like suffering in silence and you don't really want to share with anyone. And I'm not sure why. I mean, I guess you're not supposed to share your pregnancy news with anyone before 12 weeks because there's a higher chance of, uh, sorry, trigger warning for a miscarriage. Uh, but yeah, so that's why a lot of people advise not to share very early. Um, so you don't have to as well broadcast any heartbreaking news that you have. Um, so after being sick for so long, I had probably two months in the second trimester where I felt great. I was eating whatever I wanted. Um, I had cravings kind of, um, I was always craving just like a rush of like refreshing water, but not to drink more like a water slide or jumping off a diving board into a pool and just getting super refreshed. Uh, that's what I was craving pretty much my whole pregnancy, um, but because it was mostly in the winter um, and I don't know how safe it is to be pregnant on water slides, I definitely avoided that. And instead, I was, my go-to, I think, was like canned peaches. I, I still love those. I always have, but it was kind of fun to indulge in the sweetness. Um, so then the third trimester came around and I got kind of big and everything. So we started planning for the birth and going into it, I was thinking, I don't want to have the epidural. I did a little bit of research. I read a couple books and I know once you get the epidural, you can't walk around anymore. And I really wanted to have a labor that was like on my own terms and, you know, listening to my body. Um... I, I was considering doing um, hypnobirthing classes, but they are extremely expensive, like upwards of $300. So I just kind of talked to my midwife about what the options were uh, in terms of pain management. And uh, of course, the midwife recommended that wherever we decided to give birth, because I did decide that I wanted a hospital birth and not a home birth. I think a home birth is like you're 100% sure you're not going to get the epidural, obviously. Um, and you're just like prepared to do that in your house. And uh, I, I was kind of interested in it. I still am. But at the same time, I didn't want to have to worry about, you know, the picking the space and cleaning it up and, you know, everything that comes with it. Like, do I buy new towels? Do I use my old towels and then get new towels afterwards? Do I just use my old towels and wash them and then just move on? That, that was just too much thinking. I didn't want to go there. So um, I think a lot of, you know, healthcare providers like OBs and, and midwives will recommend that wherever you decide to give birth, you should at least take a tour there. And if you can, take a class there. So I know a lot of hospitals before things got crazy um, in the healthcare system, but they were offering hospital tours. So you could see where you're supposed to park, check in, um, what the birthing room looks like, what the recovery room looks like. A lot of them will have, um, you know, what's the word, like a group room where there's maybe three or four beds. Uh, and then there will be a double room with two or a private room for an extra cost. Um, and without skipping too far ahead, I wish I got a private room, uh, but I decided not to. I decided to take my chances because they, if it's not that busy, then you could be in a double room or in like a group room and be the only one there. And then you didn't pay and you kind of get the same experience. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's a gamble I'm willing to take. I don't know why I decided that, but we did do the birthing classes at the hospital and they were offering them uh, for like two hours on a weeknight for four weeks or like a weekend crash course all day, two days in a row. And so initially we were like, oh, let's spread it out. I don't want to get overwhelmed. I don't want to like fall asleep in class in front of everybody uh, because at this point in my pregnancy, I was just like falling asleep whenever, wherever uh, I could. <laughs> 
I am like an anywhere sleeper. I just like love to get a little quick snooze in. That's that's my favorite part of the day. Just like really risking it to like, oh, I have 15 minutes until I have to be somewhere. Could I sneak in an eight minute nap right now? Let's let's find out. <laughs> so I went we went to the we, we signed up for the weekly classes, but they didn't have enough attendance. So we got pushed into the weekend crash course. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Uh, so we get to the class and it's kind of cool. Like everyone's pregnant and it's like my first time really being around a bunch of pregnant people uh, in a room. And so when they ask the question, uh, who is thinking of getting the epidural, everyone put their hand up except for me. And they were all kind of like, you're crazy. What are you thinking? And I'm like, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just open to not having it because I maybe I'll be more comfortable in the bathtub during the contractions. Maybe I'll be more comfortable like in a squat position. Maybe, you know, I really wanted to keep my options open and not really have to rely on, okay, as soon as things uh, start heating up, I want to be tied to that bed for 12 hours. However many hours it's going to be, that's what was like really giving me anxiety and making me kind of nervous. So they talked a lot about, you know, embracing the pain with the contractions as they come and allowing your, you know, uh, cervix to efface, which is when it becomes shorter and to uh, dilate. And that's when it kind of like opens up and that allows the baby to come through. And that's a very natural thing that your body does. But when you get the pain of a contraction, like you tend to tense up. And if you don't embrace the pain and allow it to do what it has to do, then you end up halting. So I found the class to be really, really informative. We learned about all the different pain um, pain options. So there was like some type of like laughing gas that you could use. Um, spoiler alert, I used it and it was <laughs> nothing. It was nothing. Okay. Don't, what is it? It's nothing. Uh, another one is they give you like some type of, I think it's morphine and it's an, or what's the other word? No, yeah, it's like a serious pain drug. And then they give you like the pros and cons of all of it. And a lot of them were like nausea and this and that. And, uh, and then they talked about the epidural. And one of the biggest risks with the epidural that I was nervous about as well, on top of the labor and delivery, is a very, very small percentage of people can experience um, kind of like headaches or like spinal pain. Um, in the months following. And that's like a complication and it's a risk. But um, that kind of scared me as well because the last thing I want is more headaches or more migraines. Like I don't, I don't need that kind of energy in my life. <laughs> so the birthing class, uh, after the two days, I felt like a doctor. I thought I knew everything that could possibly go wrong. I know what all the layers of the skin look like for a C-section. We watched videos of people in labor and giving birth. So we went home and make our, made our birth plan. And so I really wanted to keep it very open-ended, just like certain things that I really definitely wanted to happen. And we shared that with the midwife ahead of time as well. And the first thing was to, yes, avoid the epidural if possible. Um, and number two was I wanted to save the placenta to be able to bring it home, you know, and... Uh, do whatever I wanted to do with it. And so you definitely have to tell them that right when you get there because they need to organize like not throwing it away. Um, and you're supposed to bring your own container for it as well. On top of that, that was like pretty much it for the birth plan. Uh, they recommend that you pack a bag in preparation for your hospital stay. Uh, so we did that. And, you know, it was just like clothes. I got a really cute robe and matching blanket. I had had been set for the baby to take some pictures, you know, the next day just to like really give a pretty vibe to the whole hospital and uh, the first few days postpartum. Um, you know, I brought my favorite kind of Ugg slippers. Um, they're outdoor slippers. They're not indoor slippers, but whatever. Uh, some comfy clothes. Uh, you have to bring adult diapers for mom and baby diapers for baby and wipes. So you're supposed to bring all of this stuff. And then on top of that, any like hygiene products that you and whoever's staying with you need, which is like toothbrush, toothpaste, um, you know, face cream, face wash, all of that. So we couldn't pack any of that ahead of time, obviously, because we use it every day. So part of the plan was once I go into labor and we decide like when I'm going to the hospital, then Roald, my husband, would pack up all of the toiletries and make sure we have everything. Um, we also put aside everything that I would need for labor. And one thing was like an electric heating pad, which I had been using 
um, on the lowest setting, of course, but just for any aches and pains. But that was really nice on the back uh, for the labor and a tennis ball. Uh, so they showed us some techniques as well in the class on how to relieve the contraction pains. And some of them were like funny positions of like, uh, they wanted a volunteer to show and obviously no one wants to volunteer. And I really hate awkward moments like that. So I was like, okay, I volunteer. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the one. And it was like some sort of, you know, I'll call it chair pose. Um, and then the father's like on the back with a tennis ball and you know weird things are happening in front of everyone uh, so what's that kind of funny I'll just segue off of the story of the breathing class is after that class because I live in like a smaller community um, I would see the pregnant moms like all over the place at the stores and everything and I'd be like hey and they'd be like hey and then after the baby was born I went to mommy and baby yoga and guess who was there somebody who was in my class and I'm like we know each other from like when we were pregnant and now we're in mom and baby yoga together like, that's kind of cute uh, so yeah made friends that way so let's jump ahead to uh, the buildup to um, labor. Uh, I was, uh, how many weeks? 38 weeks and three days. Uh, so, you know, your due date is 40 weeks and you're kind of expecting that you could go at 38 to 42, at two weeks either way. Then you're full term and, you know, it can happen anytime. Um, so my friends and I decided to do an escape room. But before that, we were like, let's have Korean barbecue. Um, and obviously, because I'm pregnant, I'm supposed to be like eating a lot and whatever. So I mean, my mouth had the appetite, but my stomach couldn't fit at all. So I was like eating and eating and eating. And then just like, as I'm at the table, I lock eyes with one of my friends. And then I just start throwing up. Uh, <laughs> it was so gross. I was like, catching it in my hands, catching it with my bowl and a napkin. And I was like, oopsies, sorry. Like, you know, there's no like stomach acid or anything. Like it just went down. Like there's, it's just food. It's not a big deal. Uh, but that was pretty gross. I was like, something, something's weird. Uh, so we do the escape room and it's all good. There's some crawling around. I'm like, I feel like I feel fine. So everything is fine. Uh, we even had bubble tea that night. I'm like, everything is fine. Then the next morning, I wake up at like 6 a.m. and I'm like, oh my gosh, my back hurts. Like I have like a pain right in the middle of my lower back and it's something I never felt before. Like I think I think today is the day. Uh, so I tell Rewald, he's like, oh no, I think you just have back pain. I'm like, okay, let's go have uh, like a breakfast. Let's go out for breakfast. So we go to the nearest diner and then of course all of the jokes from people's like, oh, are you that baby's coming out any minute now. And I was like, no, literally it is. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor because like I have this like weird pain that starts in my back and it's like coming around to the front of my belly. And it's just weird. I, I haven't had it before and something feels different today. So we make it through breakfast. I eat the food. I'm like, oh, okay, it's all good. Then I call my mom to tell her like, hey, eh, you know, something, something's up today. And she was like, I'll be right there. <laughs> you know, she was, it was like not even a second to say, no, it's not possible. She just knew that it was the time. So to kind of keep my mind off it and keep moving and just like try to make it to the point of, you know, embracing the contractions or like actually having contractions, I guess, we went to the flea market and we were just walking around. I think I had a smoothie, uh, you know, just doing some shopping. And then my mom wants to buy a purse. And at that point, like, it was like, I just got like, stabbed in the back that's how it felt and I was like oh like I think I think it's time to go home and like really start some pain management because things are getting starting to get very real and I just kept asking my mom like do you think this is really it do you think this is it do you, like is this what you th do you think this is really happening and she was like yes it's really happening just like calm down and I kept asking her all I'm like are you sure it's happening like am I just pretending am I being a baby what, what am I what, what uh, is it really happening <laughs> It was really happening. So we get home. We actually start watching Schitt's Creek because I'm like, I need something funny and chill to watch that like, you know, the storyline is not of the utmost and I could just, I can just relax. So we put that on. I set my place up on the floor. We have these like great Thai floor mats. So I'm like sitting on those kind of rocking and doing whatever I need to do. I've got my heat. 
um, you know, a couple hours pass and then things start to get real and it's just like contraction and the contractions just feel like very hard to embrace. And I kept telling myself, like, embrace the pain, like breathe through it, like allow it to happen. Um, and then as soon as it would start, I'd get my app going and start the timer, like, okay, here comes one, time it. Because, you know, you're not supposed to call your midwife until you're, they gave us the timelines. I, I, I don't quite remember now, but I know they had to be like five minutes apart or something like that and quite consistent. So I wanted to keep track as early as I could. So we did that, and uh, <laughs> as soon as I would feel the contraction coming, because it comes on like a wave, like you see, like you feel it like rising and rising, and so I'd be like, get the tennis ball to roll. <laughs> and one time he was like upstairs preparing food, and I was like, where the F is he? What is he doing? I'm in labor here. And so my mom gets the ball, and she tries to put it in my back, and I'm like, it's not right. Where's her all? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so funny. So, you know, at this point, it's the evening. It's about like 6 p.m. We're like, all right, it's going to be a long night. Um, why don't we try to get some sleep? So I took a gravel and tried to go to sleep. And this was that was like okayed by the midwives. Like you're allowed to take gravel and especially the drowsy kind and that will help you sleep. So we did, which is kind of cool. I took gravel and I think it was Tylenol. I think Tylenol is the one that's okay while you're pregnant. So that helped a bit with the pain, surprisingly, because I was like, does Tylenol even really do anything? But it does. Uh, so we slept and then, you know, I was suddenly woke up. I went to the bathroom. Um, I sat on the toilet and then I felt like a, a water balloon. And I was like, oh, my water just broke. And so I was like, okay. Oh, Okay, so for sure I called the midwife at that point. They scheduled what time they'd be coming over because they come to your house. Um, and because they were training a new midwife, we had two people coming, which ended up being the biggest blessing. Just having two midwives there, plus my mom, plus my husband. It was just like everyone was there to do everything that I could possibly need to just enjoy this time, this moment of really something really special that my body's going through. So after the, the my water broke, um, all hell broke loose. That's that's pretty much what happened. The pain became ridiculous. Like I could not breathe through the transaction transactions. <laughs> Whatever, I couldn't breathe through the contractions. I was um, just there was there was no relief whatsoever. Um, so you know, we're, we're trying to make it through. I get in the bathtub. I'm like, okay, let me just try to bath this out. But the heat of the water, it wasn't that hot. Of course, I know you're not supposed to go in hot water when you're pregnant, but it, the water and like the motion of it was like making me so nauseous. And so then I start throwing up and I'm like, oh my goodness, great. Thank you so much. That's, that's awesome. Um, because now I'm dehydrated. Like I couldn't barely drink water. I you know, as I mentioned before, I'm not a big water drinker. So I got like a brand new cup that I really liked and a new straw that I really liked. And that was supposed to be my motivation to drink water during the labor. But anything that I drank just came right back out. And so I didn't want my mom to see me. Like I was just like disheveled. I'm like, I don't want anyone to see me. And then finally, I think they had a conversation behind the scenes and the midwife was like, maybe we should go to the hospital and consider getting the epidural. And I just felt like such a failure. I'm like, oh, but I like I planned not to. Um, not that I planned not to. I planned to not have to. Uh, but we were reaching the point where like I was seeing stars, like I was getting so dizzy. I, I, I couldn't do it. And then they were reminding me, after you go through all of this, you're going to have to push. And then after you push, you're going to have to take care of your baby. It's not like you're going to go and have a big old nap afterwards. Like your baby's going to be born and they're going to need you. And so I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like the only way I'm going to be able to get some rest is if I get the epidural. But before that, I was like, why don't we try that other pain medication that I heard about with the laughing gas? They're like, okay, sure. Let's go to the hospital. So uh, we get to the hospital. I'm just like blind with pain walking through trying to check in I'm just like mm, don't ask me any questions don't ask me any I don't know. they were asking me all these questions I was like where's my mom where's my husband where's my midwife they'll deal with you guys uh I know the poor nurses they were just trying to ch get me checked in <laughs> I was like I don't know where my health card is 
So put your health card in your hospital bag <laughs> for sure. And you have to bring a pillow as well because they don't give you enough pillows. And make sure you use a pillowcase that's not just plain white because then you'll forget that it's yours. You got to bring a fancy pillowcase as well. So finally, we get to the hospital. I try the laughing gas. It does nothing and I'm losing it. And so the midwife is like, okay, can you agree to get the epidural now so that we can get the anesthesiologist here? And I was like, oh, fine, sure, let's do it, whatever. And so after I agree to get it, I expect the pain to stop, (laughs) but it doesn't because it takes like 45 minutes for the anesthesiologist to come. And then I got to sign the paperwork and stuff and and then you have to actually get the epidural and then it has to kick in. So I was feeling very defeated at this point. I'm like, I've already given up. That's how I felt. I was like, I've given up. I'm having this like all natural Zen labor and delivery. Why am I still in pain? Like just take the pain away. So finally he comes and, you know, he, you sit up and they tell you, oh, let me know when the next contraction is coming because we have to do it at, a, I don't know, whenever they have to do it. And I'm just not talking at all. So we're sitting there for a few minutes and he's like, are you going to tell me? And I'm like, I can't talk. <laughs> and I think he was very annoyed with me. I felt bad about that. But then I figured, I think a lot of people probably do all this. So I get the epidural and um, I'm told it'll take 15 minutes to kick in. So I'm staring at the clock and I'm like, okay, watching the little hand go around, the second hand going around, I'm like 15 minutes and then the pain is done. 15 minutes and the pain is done. And so the anesthesiologist is leaving. I give him my apology. I've gone on an apology tour to everybody in the room because I feel so bad about how intense I'm acting during the contractions. Like I'm just like in so much and anytime someone offers me something it just upsets me more Uh, it was I thought I wanted a popsicle so I had a popsicle and threw that up right away and so that was super yucky and then I had another popsicle and then I got really bad heartburn and I had had heartburn through the whole pregnancy just nonstop. I was on Tums, Gaviscon Um, I tried not to take, you know, antacids because they actually were getting recalled at the time. Uh, Who knows what is going on with that. So I'm just so deeply uncomfortable. Finally, 20 minutes pass and I start freaking out and the pain hasn't gone away. So the anesthesiologist comes back and he's like, oh, it hasn't kicked in yet. And I was like, uh, no. (laughs) And then we just press the button a few times and a few minutes later, it's like zen. And it it feels like my world has changed. I I still have the heartburn. That still sucks. But, you know, there's no more pain. Like I can't even feel a contraction anymore at this point. So I don't like abuse the button or anything. It's a controlled amount in total that you can get. Uh, So no matter how much you press it, you will hit a limit. Finally, they're like, okay, checking me, checking me. I'm fully effaced, but I'm not all the way dilated. So let's uh, have a nap. So we all sleep and it's really great. And, you know, I have a cute image in, um, in my head of my parents and my in-laws in the waiting room and Roald sitting on the couch, or not really a couch, like a chair in the room, sleeping as best he can. Um, I'm just scrolling on my phone. Like I really couldn't fall asleep right away. But then finally I did. And then around six o'clock, I wake up and, you know, it's, I'm like, it's, it, it, can we do something here? <laughs> uh, so the nurse comes and checks me and she's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. But the OB, oh, what I forgot to mention is around the whole uh, debacle around the epidural, my blood, I had a high blood pressure reading. So in that kind of case, the midwives had to turn my care over to the OBs um, and so that they were my official caregivers at that time. So I got really upset and I'm like, oh no, my midwives are going home. Like they were supposed to be here with me all night and like for to till the birth and you know help me with everything and they knew about me wanting to keep the placenta and they knew that I wanted a mirror so I could watch like the actual delivery so I thought they were leaving but no actually they were they stayed the whole time which is so cool uh, so when it come, came time to push like the nurse was kind of in charge at that point 
And she said to us, like, okay, if the midwife will, you know, deliver the baby, then we don't have to wait for the OB because he's in another room right now and he's with another patient. So we decided to go ahead with it. I push and the pushing is like my favorite part. Like I feel so great. I feel so strong. I was like, this is why I exercised like my whole pregnancy. I went to the gym three or four times a week. I was walking. I was doing squats, you know, curls for the girls, everything. So I just felt so strong, so powerful. Um, didn't have any ring of fire, nothing like that. Hardly any tearing and whoop, the baby is born and the, and she's here. And we tell the nurse, oh, this is Dorothea. And she sheds a tear because she was Irish and it was Mother's Day in Ireland that day. And her mom who had passed away, her name was Dorothea. So it was just such a special, magical moment. And, you know, Thea was born at like 646. So at seven o'clock was like, the, her shift was ending. So she just, you know, it was kind of just like a big emotional thing. We were like the last thing that she was going to do for her shift and she was going to go home. And so, uh, you know, normal stuff after giving birth, uh, you know, they do the cut the cord thing and like bloodshot everywhere. And it was like, oh my gosh. And then I have all this blood spatter all over my arms. And then um, you do the afterbirth, which kind of uh, was a little bit weird. Like I would, this is the part I was very confused about because you really don't see a lot of coverage on it, like what the whole experience is like. And so the doctor just kind of pushed on my stomach, I think. And I don't know, I guess I bared down a couple times and then that all happened. Uh, they decided to stitch me just a couple stitches, nothing crazy. I, I don't recall that being too big of a deal. So it was fine. And even the recovery, I was very nervous about. I get really scared about recovery, especially on things like that and just getting an infection. Uh, but it was just fine. Yeah, it was totally fine in that regard. So we uh, kind of wheel me and baby Thea over to the room we're going to stay in. And it was just so, like, it was just so great. Um, I mentioned before I had, like, a wild roommate who – I guess she was expecting to go home that day, but then her baby had jaundice, so she had to sleep under the lamp so they couldn't they couldn't discharge her. And she just took all of her phone calls um, on speaker, like she was FaceTiming or video chatting on speaker. And then after between her calls, um, she would watch her Instagram stories, uh, but also on speaker. So like at two o'clock in the morning, that was kind of a lot for me, especially it's like your first time with the baby, you're trying to figure out how to breastfeed. I'm like. Every two seconds, checking if she's breathing, just like studying her, looking at her, feeling what she feels like to be held. And like, we've never taken care of a baby before. And all of a sudden, like, just in charge of everything. <laughs> uh, so then my neighbor, her, she decides to um, take her di baby's diaper off. And that's the exact moment that her baby decides to like poop everywhere. So she, you know, has to call the nurse and then there's poop everywhere and it's meconium, which is the baby's first poop. And it's like everything that was already in their tummy, like from when they were uh, still un not, not yet born, I guess, whatever the term is. So that's what I'm listening to. And I'm just, you know, taking in these first moments with my babe and the Roald's there the whole time. Of course, in our hospital bag, he forgot our toothbrushes um, because we use electric toothbrushes. So, you know, it, he would have had to pack that while I was in labor at home. And I guess he just had too much on his plate, <laughs> putting tennis balls in my back. So, I mean, if we had to do it again, I just put a couple of disposable toothbrushes and toothpaste in the hospital bag ahead of time. And don't worry about bringing your electric toothbrush with you. That was kind of a miss. Um, but our parents did end up giving us toothbrushes. So we were able to brush our teeth. And I was able to give my baby so many kisses, 100 million kisses. Oh, it was just such a sweet time. And then, you know, the nurses helped give her the, her first bath. And she was just like so cute. And uh, we put her outfit on for her and, you know, packed her in the car seat for the first time. Then before you can leave, they, you know, check the baby in the car seat and make sure you've done it all right and everything. And yeah, we brought her home. We got home and I was in bed for like three days with her after that, just kind of chilling in my diaper and her chilling in her diaper and having a good time. 
Um, I took a bunch of Perry bottles from the hospital, so I have those now. Even though I do have a bidet, it's, it's just a nice handy bottle to have to spray your bottom after you go to the bathroom. Uh, there's so much more to tell. There's so many things that I didn't even get to mention that happened, but that was like a quick overview of my birth story. And I think mine was very um, like good, you know, an average birth, but everything went so well. Like I had the one moment of high blood pressure, um, but other than that, everything went really well. And I ca- like I consider myself so blessed because I know like as Maya said in her story, she pushed and pushed and pushed and, you know, they had to use the vacuum to get the baby out. But then there's that fear that you're going to be doing like an emergency C-section or something like that. So I just feel very lucky that, um, yes, the labor was hard and intense, but it ended up being, you know, less than one full day of my life because it really started at 9 a.m. It didn't get intense till about three. And then, like I said, she was born at six in the morning. So a long day, but I would happily do it again. Although I don't think I would have said these words very shortly after the birth, but something happens in a mom's brain that you just kind of forget it all. And you're like, yes, I'll do it again. Um, so yeah, guys, and let me know what you guys thought of the first few episodes. This wraps our series on selling sunset. I told you a very personal story. I'm going to just kind of maybe keep it more, uh, basic from now on, or just discussing topical things and really trying to reach the whole audience. Cause I can't imagine that a lot of people who are not interested in childbirth really wanted to listen to all of that. Um, Let me know if it was TMI. I'm not going to change for the future. I just want to know which of you are uh, squeamish. (laughs) I'm not going to do anything about it, though. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to my pod, Really Shannon, and we'll see you next time. Really Shannon.